Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Turn it up. Yeah! Alrighty, everybody. It is that time again. I am your host, Jeff Wenzel. Like I said earlier, I am part of the Woodshed Agency, and this is our podcast where we interview project creators while they're in the middle of their Kickstarter campaigns or Indiegogo campaigns or fundraising in general. And the reason we do that is I like to talk to people while they're in the middle of the battle, right? Um, That way we're getting the most up-to-date information and you're hearing from people who are literally doing it. Um, And that way it reinforces sort of my messages, not only to my clients, but to potential clients or people who are in my... uh, sort of my online sphere. So at some point, you know, for me, and I encourage this for all businesses, right? At some point, you can't keep saying the same thing over and over and over. You almost ha- It's almost like my versions of testimonials. So that's why we do this. That's why we, um, uh, each week we put out some episodes and we talk to project creators. So saying that, who's up on today's episode? Uh, well, today we're talking to Stephanie Law, um, and she has created a coloring and art book called Succulent Dragons. And we've talked about this sort of coloring book fad before. We've had other other project creators on. And uh, you know, Stephanie was no stranger to the uh, book world, to the publishing world, and she was a great interview. Um, we broke down some... Uh, you know what it's like to actually put together a project of this scale and 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 how to run a quick campaign. This is uh, I think something you'll find interesting too is how quickly she spun this up. So that interview is coming up in a little bit. So I hope you do stay tuned. And if not, you can forward through my, you know my my early uh, my my quick ten minutes of ranting or six minutes of ranting, however it feels. But uh, but yeah, so that's what's coming up in a minute here. So. I'm sitting here. I got my stocking hat on. I got my big winter boots sitting next to me. Because guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go snow blow again. So I think for some of my people out on the East Coast, you guys have been snow blowing every day, it feels like. so. Um, but I feel like I've been doing it, too. I thought we were out of this. But nope. I'm going to go fire up that snow blower here in just a second and uh, fire it on all cylinders. I'll tell you, the other thing that's happening is I am. I feel like I'm in rough shape today. And I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say... I had a little bit of wine last night, so that ha- that I did do that. I tried to put on a little show for the wife. Um, that didn't work, but I, you know, I tried. Um, and uh, so I'm hurting today. I, I don't know, man. I don't know if I grinded my teeth or something last night, but man, my jaw is hurting. So I'm gonna go try to find some Advil here in a little bit too, because I feel a little rough. I'm not gonna lie, I feel a little rough today. But the snow blowing will help. Going outside in 20 degree weather and snow blowing will definitely help how I'm feeling right now. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Well, I don't, have you guys watched the show Love at all on Netflix? Um, if you haven't, I strongly recommend checking it out. They're on season three, and I have powered through in the last like three days. I've watched, I don't know, 10 episodes or something like that. I think there's only a couple more. But I really enjoy this series for some reason, and I don't really 100% know why. I don't know what I'm relating to with it. Um, you know, it's just a love story. Uh, but it's really, I don't know, it's its well done for some reason. Uh, it, it's good. I don't know. I've just, it's been on my mind a lot. It was since I woke up in the middle of the night last night, um, I was thinking about it and I was like, what am I going to talk about on the on the intro of, of today's episode? And and, I'm, and that's part of it, man. That that show has been, it's good. I don't know. Go watch it. I, I, this is, You're getting a Jeff Wenzel uh, impromptu review of a Netflix TV show. So that's, that's nice. I'm, if you guys have stuck to this point, that's great. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, another thing that's been on my mind. Um, so I've been kind of wrestling with a sort of inner thought. Um, 
And it relates to the work I do over on another podcast called um, The Standcast, which is a, a podcast for men who give a damn, and there's a magazine and all that sort of stuff. Go check that out if you want to hear what I talk about over there. But uh, I was kind of face-to-face with an internal dilemma that I wasn't 100% sure how to handle. So uh, let, me, let me set it up for you. So a couple weeks ago, Mr. Mr. Duane, the... The guy who created Stan, you know, uh, brought up the point that we might talk about porn on uh, an upcoming episode. And I thought, all right, that's interesting. That's that's deep. Okay, we'll talk about porn with with a couple of dudes, and we'll. And the reason it kind of struck me, and it still is stri- like like still is, I'm still wrestling with this sort of inner inner question, is more m- more than often I leave a pretty open life, right? Uh, on this podcast, on that podcast, I talk about a lot of stuff. I'm pretty open and honest. I wear a lot of uh, feelings on my sleeves. Um, I very rarely am I hiding anything. I, I feel like I'm just like, Bleh, here you go. That's that's what I'm dealing with. Um, now I'm also a guy who's not into confrontation, so I don't really, I'm not really into that. But I don't know, I don't know very many people are. Well, I guess there's some people that don't don't mind it, but it's definitely something I'm not looking forward for. You know, looking to get into. But with this question of porn, it really, you know, made me look in the mirror and say, actually, how open will I actually be about this? Is this something that I truly want to dive deep into? No pun intended. Um, But is this something that, like, I'm comfortable actually really putting out there about myself? Now, I put a lot of stuff out there, stuff going on with my family, stuff that's gone on with my wife. I think that's, there's, you know... I feel like everything I'm talking about, somebody in my mind should be being benefited from. They're they're feeling benefited from it. They're being they're hearing an honesty. They're hearing that maybe they don't have to keep themselves in there. But for some reason, that four letter word porn really kind of struck me as like, mm, no, I don't know if I want to do that. And I don't know why in my life that is my judgmental point, or that's where I would put up a wall. Now, granted, the episode I think is coming out this week. I edited it yesterday, so I'm sure it's getting ready to come out. So if you want to hear it, you can tell that you know I, I, I didn't really hold anything back. I, I talked about stuff. But if you really listen to it, I'd never really actually get that personal about myself. And that's what's kind of been eating me up a little bit inside is why. What, what is the embarrassment behind that? If, I don't even know if it is embarrassment. That's the thing. I, I, I'm not actually sure what I'm even talking about at the moment. I'm just kind of literally <laughs> before I go snowblow. No pun intended on that one either. Man, look at me. I'm a jokester. But, um, you know, I, so I'm questioning what is it about that topic and is making me question, do I want to live this open? Do I want to have something out on record of me talking about porn, talking about, you know, um, feelings around it or how it fits in my life or whatever it might be? And then I, then I you know, so this is the first time that there's been a topic that I'm uh, uncomfortable with or nervous with, and I'm not sure why. Why? Who cares? We all, we all are, you know, human beings. We're all sexual. We're all, you know, on some scale of that sexuality. <sighs> but even having this conversation makes me not makes me a little nervous, and that's that's not usually like Jeff Wenzel. So I don't know why this one is different. You know, I don't know why. Anybody? Anybody have any answers on that out there? It's Stephanie. <laughs> Sorry that your interview is attached to this. Uh, this was not. Uh, I, I don't know. Just it's been on my mind for a couple of days, and and this is again where I, you know, so Stephanie, if you're listening, thank you, thank you for letting uh, my, our interview be a vehicle for 
for this quick little rant. We're going to get to your interview here in just a second, but but I don't know. So that's something that's that's uh, on my shoulders a little bit. I'm weighted down a little bit on it. Um, uh, taking that extra minute in the mirror to, to reflect as to, and I'm asking these sort of questions, why? So that's what's going on. That's what's going on over here. All right. I think that's enough of that. I will let you know if I ever come to a conclusion on that one. I'll let you know, but I'm not 100% sure yet. So what do I need you to do now? couple things. If you like Successfully Funded, please go over to iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you like us. Give us a review. Subscribe. That way you're getting each and every episode as soon as they come out. That would be awesome and helpful for us. Next thing on the list, make sure you are a subscriber to the blog, right? Go over to the Woodshed Agency, subscribe to the blog, or subscribe to our growth hacks. Each each week, I'm going to send out really high-end, cool things to do to, to kind of boost your open rates and your engagement. So that's an option. Second thing is, we have another podcast. I actually have another podcast, I should say. It is called Successfully Funded Mini Editions. Yeah. Again, go to iTunes, search Successfully Funded. You're going to see a mini. It's going to have a little bit of a different uh, color combination on my face. And those episodes are between five and ten minutes. They're random. They are me diving deep into um, what it's like to run an agency, what it's like to run a business, uh, Kickstarter campaigns that have caught my attention. So go check that out as well. Um, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to have some uh, move some of these subscribers over there as well. So that's something you can do. And then the secret is we have another podcast coming soon. I can't give you much more detail, but it's uh, it's going to be great. So that's coming up down the road here as well. We're going to get into that down the road. So, all right, I think that's all I got. I'm going to go snow blow. I'm going to get rid of that snow. I'm going to go be a man and push some snow around. But uh, all right, let's talk to Stephanie Law from Succulent Dragons, a coloring and art book. So here we go. Well, all right, Stephanie, you can see I, the red light's probably blinking at you right now. Hopefully you're not nervous. Hopefully you're all good to go now. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. All right, cool, cool, cool. You don't have that uh, the red light syndrome that uh, some people have where they freeze <laughs> up. And they're like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> Well, cool. Let's start off with a simple sound check. So, uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I actually haven't eaten breakfast. <laughs> what? what? I, I woke up about five minutes ago. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, okay. So, you're the first one that hasn't had breakfast. That's interesting. All right. Cool. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Most people. Well, maybe not. I guess there's a there's a few, but they're they're all going to eat breakfast later. Are you going to eat breakfast? I, I'm later? having my my liquid tea breakfast right okay. now. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll have something. some breakfast later probably. It's the daylight savings thing that has thrown me because I woke up actually about an hour and a half ago and then realized it's really early. <laughs> yeah, it's throwing all of us. It was, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I like I feel like the day after it's like it's not as bad. Today's like the really bad day for it, where you're just like, uh, wow, it's early. Yeah. So. Well, I, have a, I have a kid also, so we had to w- wake up to get her for school, but then turns out she's sick. So, oh. you know, we all crawled back into bed. <laughs> nice. I got my kids off to school and it was, everybody got up a little late today. So, uh, but whatever, it's what it's happening. Well, let's go. Cool. <laughs> I, mean, I think we're sounding good. So let's, let's jump right into it. So uh, let's just list what you are currently raising money for on Kickstarter. I am currently raising money for a coloring book, art book called Succulent Dragons. And it is something that I guess I've been working on leading up to the Kickstarter for about 
four or five months or so. Okay. Doing all the, yeah, doing all the art and illustrations for this. Yeah. That's sweet. So um, since nobody can see this, since we're, uh, you know, in, in the audio land here, what is Succulent <laughs> Dragons? How do you describe this? I mean, I think most people know what a coloring, uh, an art book is, but, but what does this kind of look like? How do you describe it to people? So it's a high end, higher end coloring book, uh, and so it's that's why I call it coloring slash art book. Mm-hmm. I am an artist, and I haven't usually put out coloring books, so this was kind of a, a deviation from my usual set of creations and uh, audience. But it was something that I was kind of doing for fun. It, it was a little bit of a side journey for myself, just because I. Personally, I'm really into succulents. Okay. <laughs> I have this, I have a succulent addiction that's kind of kicked in the past couple of years. <laughs> so I've been collecting these things and I've been starting to do a lot of drawings and illustrations for them and started off with, with my daughter kind of teasing me and calling me a succulent dragon, she says, because I hoarded the plants rather than gold. And wow. so I was doing a few little drawings for her to, to play with because she's She's eight years old, uh-huh. and it started turning into something more. The drawings turned into more elaborate things and sort of these quirky little whimsical drawings that I was doing for myself instead. So they're combinations of sort of the the pattern and mandala like qualities of these plants in nature combined with fantastical elements like dragons and other little creatures, because that's the other part of what I usually do (laughs) in my art and creation is I'm a fantasy artist. And so I do a lot of these fantastical uh, imaginary creatures and places and things. And so it's a combination of these two elements put together. So over the last, it feels like maybe only like the last year, maybe a little bit longer, but this coloring book phase, where where has this come from? I mean, it seems like it's a lot of places. It's being talked (laughs) about for therapy. I mean, I know my, my, uh, my wife's uh, parents, they, they color or, um, you know, they've given us gifts of the stuff that uh, her stepdad's colored. So she's like, where did this come from? It feels like it came out of nowhere. The, the adult coloring book fad. Yeah. yeah, that it's actually as a fad, it's probably on its descent a is little it? bit. Okay. It's not as huge of a thing right now, but it is still definitely out there now. Um, people have become aware of it and they've gotten into it. And so it's probably not going anywhere in the long term. But as this insane upswing, um, it's, it's probably not as much so now. At one point, maybe like two, three years ago, I think, there was actually a shortage of coloring pencils <laughs> <laughs> in art stores uh, for n- not the Crayola cheapy little kid versions. It was like the $20, $50 range coloring pencils that adults were using wow. because people were getting so into these coloring books that the, they couldn't keep up with the stock. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's definitely turned into something that adults are no longer. Uh, well, I mean, it used to be a kid thing, yeah. right? People used to think, oh, kids, kids are the only ones that are going to be doing coloring books. But I guess people realize this is sort of a way to just get into art without being afraid of it. Sure. And for for non artists to really enjoy getting back to this creative aspect and this creative element in themselves. And so that's, that's why it's sort of become popular again. That's cool. So what is your first step? I mean, at, you, know, you kind of gave the story about how this idea kind of originated, but how, how did you start putting together a book for this and, and take it to the point where you're on Kickstarter? So I've done a lot of books before. This is not my first book, either in the self-published realm or in the traditional mm-hmm. publishing realm. I've done both. Mm-hmm. 
I do a lot of art books that I produce on my own. And I also worked with publishers for several other kinds of books that are more directed at a wider audience. So I look at my art books as as uh, they, they are more directed at my specific fan audience. And so that's how I decide whether I'm going to do something via a self-publishing Kickstarter route or going through an established publishing channel. This is how I look at every, every project that I take on. There's kind of two different ways, two different routes that you can go with it, depending on what your audience is and who you want to reach. So when I'm trying to reach my more specific collector fan audience, then that's usually something that's more appropriate for a self-publishing venue. And I used to do books even before Kickstarter came along. So Kickstarter is only a more mm-hmm. recent thing these past, what, five, six, seven, eight mm-hmm. years or so. And before that, I used to just produce the books with capital on my own. Um, but anyway, so uh, what, let's see, you're saying, how do I get started with this? You mean like yeah, the technical yeah, aspects yeah. You, of it? You know, I, I guess for somebody like myself, I've, I've never put together a book. So yeah. yeah so f- the first part is to get the book and the actual material mm-hmm. together right. first. That's the first step to do. And I think a lot of people that are doing Kickstarter, sometimes they don't, they, they actually skip this. I mean, it sounds like a obvious thing, but they, they think, well, let right. me get the money first and yeah, then I'll make right. the book. <laughs> and then you end up with lots mm-hmm. of delays and things. So I like to actually have my book pretty much complete, all my material, all the art that I've done. And this can take a lot of time. Sometimes it can take years mm-hmm. to get this material together, which is why I really think it's important to have it ahead of time. So I'll get all my material. I start researching the printers that I'm going to use. And at this point, I'm actually going back to the same, well, it's not specifically the same printer Mm -hmm. printer because those are located in China. But what I use is a print broker, which is a person who he, he has contacts in China. He actually goes there and makes the press checks and makes sure that everything is according to my specifications and what I want and that the quality is good and that no errors are happening. And he has the relationship mm. directly with the printers. So what I do is I, I go to him and I say, this is, these are my specifications. This is what I want. And he comes back to me with some prices and some options and samples and things. And so from there, we move forward. I decide which one I want to use. And, you know, then at that point, it's waiting for the funding to happen and then signing contracts and going forward. <laughs> and, and how about on like the content side? How do you, you know, for, for like a, a book like this, you know, do you make a whole bunch of pieces? Then do you edit them down or do you just like, like what's your process there? It depends on the the project again. So for this one, this was specifically a coloring book. And so I said, you know, I want to do 64 pages and people wanted one sided because they don't want color to bleed through onto the other side. It's very important. Right. (laughs) And so that means 32 pieces of art. And the way I decided on 64 is also because when you're talking about books, you have to think in terms of signatures. This is the sort of bundles of pages that are sewn together mm. in, and then each of these bundles is then sewn together into larger bundles and which gives you the entire book. And typically a signature is some multiple of eight pages. Mm. And that means that if you are going to produce a book, you are paying for that amount of page, that that page count, whether or not you use it. So if I only had 61 pages, that means there's three pages that 
are going to be in there or they have to cut out, mm. in fact, that aren't going to be used. So you might as well go up to your signature maximum. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so when you think of, when you're thinking about how many pages, you have to think, you know, in terms of these eight counts. And so that sort of sets some limitations on what your page count is and how many images you need. So then that sets my initial number. I go, I work with that then. And so I have my 32 pages and I got to work in title and, you know, copyright information and all that. And then I also have to do a lot of little vignette drawings. These are kind of little mini pictures that go along with the titles that are on the backs mm. of each page. So in total, I guess it comes to 64 pieces of art for this wow. one, plus the cover design and everything. Now, if I'm working on something like my previous Kickstarter book, which I did about two years ago, and that one's called Descants and Cadences. That one is purely an art, sort of an art exhibition book. It's a book that just shows off my art and what I've been doing for the past three years. And in that case, I didn't have a specific book in mind when I started doing it. So I put out those kinds of books maybe every three years or so. And in those cases, what I do is I just I just make art for those three years. It's not I'm not thinking of the right, book, right. although I have it in the back of my mind that eventually this is the the highlights are going to be put into a collection. And I'm aware of this as I do art, but it's not really at the forefront of my mind until I get to the point where I'm actually doing the book. And then at that point, I go back through my backlog of art for the past three years or however long it's been since I put out my previous book. And I pick out all the ones that I think represent my best work. And again, I have to whittle this down to a specific page count. I think in that one, I had 128 pages. And sometimes there were uh, back in front, I, I, it was, uh, it depended on the layout, right? So in that one, I think it came down to about a hundred pieces of art that I had to, had to whittle it down to. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty productive. So that <laughs> is a large reduction from the total count right. that I have. In fact, I think for the past, I did a sort of, review of the artwork that I created in 2017. I was posting that on my social media. And even just for the complete finished works, and I do a lot of little miniatures and thick miniatures and things as well, which I wasn't counting, but just the complete larger scale works, I think I had 70 pieces. (laughs) So that kind of gives you an idea of how much I produce per year. And so Whittling it down to 100 pieces over the course of a three-year span is a little bit more than a third of my art, probably. That's cool. So with you making this much content, like, what is the process? Is this something that you do similar to like how I've, uh, I've heard writers, you know, they write every morning? Or do you, are, you, are you trying to create something every day, whether good, bad, or, you know, just, just to create? Yeah, I create every day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not so much of a... Uh, a goal that I have, it's more of a need. <laughs> I, I have to make art. I have to draw and I have to paint. Because if I don't, I get really cranky. <laughs> there are times when I'm working on the business end of things for days on end. And my husband just takes me and he sh- shows me to the studio. He's like, you yeah. got to paint. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep the kid out of your way. I'm going to stay out of your way. You just got to right. do some stuff That's right cool. now. <laughs> It's good to have the, the supportiveness there to, to, that recognizes. Get out of the business. Get out of the numbers. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what was the uh, total length for, for Cycling Dragon? How long did it, from like the idea of putting this together to this Kickstarter, what's the time frame? 
It started, it started around, oh, let's see. I think I maybe did the first piece around November-ish. It, it, this is a pretty short yeah. time frame for a project like this. I didn't expect it to come together so quickly. But I started playing with the idea of it in November was when I sort of did the first piece. And I had posted on some of my social media on Facebook and people were like, oh my goodness, this is, this is really fun and you need to do a coloring book of this. And normally I don't really think much of those, but then I thought, well, actually it would be kind of fun to sort of indulge mm-hmm. this, this playful sure. side of me and, and just do this. And so I started doing a few pieces and then after a while I, I thought, well, might as well do a actual book and Kickstarter for us. But one of the things that I uh, I, I do when I'm considering Kickstarters is that I, I want to try to have my entire project happen and play out within the course of a mm-hmm. fiscal year, because I don't want to deal with the ramifications of having it carry over sure. to the next year, especially when I'm shipping things like books, which are yep. pretty heavy and you have to deal with the yearly uh, shipping price hikes right. that happen. Yep. <laughs> And so that that becomes just yet another unexpected factor that you got to play into a Kickstarter that can actually really wreak havoc on any plans that you have when you are plotting this all out. So in order to do that, I really want to have my Kickstarters going preferably done before the end of April so that I can get the rest of my timeline going because even after that it's going to take another couple weeks of negotiating with my printer and then six weeks for the shipping and delivery from China and then you have the massive uh, fulfillment process that has to happen at that point (laughs) and that gives me enough padding to get everything out before the craziness of December and holidays so you know counting back with this, with this sort of timeline that I'm working backwards from, that means I needed to get this Kickstarter going really quickly sure, soon. Sure. <laughs> and so it, it was either that or else wait until the following year to do it. And I didn't want to wait mm-hmm. that many months and have this just sitting around. So instead, I decided to just push things through and and get it out this year. So, <laughs> well, Has there been any... Um any roadblocks at all in, in, in the last few months when you started this project that I don't know that, that you just couldn't overcome or anything that, that you ran your head into at all? As far as the project itself is concerned, no, I didn't have any, any real issues for that. I had a major website issue <laughs> about two weeks ago where my website just server just completely went kaput. <laughs> and I spent about, I spent about a week straight just trying to get everything back online and this was especially bad because all of my all of my publicity for the kickstarter was was a lot of it was going through redirects on my website page because i figured i figured that when i was doing my early publicity especially if i had it all going through this page and then once the kickstarter went live i could flip it into a redirect that that would keep everything active and it worked great up until that week wow. <laughs> when everything just completely died. And then I was desperately trying to get it up and running again uh, in time because I had all these people saying, I can't find it. What happened? Where, where did everything go? <laughs> well, that's intense. Well, how, you know, that, that's a great moment of like, you know, in, in the uh, entrepreneur spirit of all this sort of stuff. Like, how, how did you fight through that, the, all those emotions and, and just, you know, put your head down and get through it? But, but uh, you know, a lot of people... That's it. They're just done, you know? I mean, so how, how did you play through it? 
I, I have to. I mean, you can't, you can't not do it. I, I rely on my website for my income, basically. I mean, I'm a, I, when people ask me, you know, what, where, where's your major income? It's, I, the easiest response is, is actually that I'm e-commerce, really. Mm-hmm. My product, though, is myself and my creations. Right. So most of what I create, I sell through my website. This includes my originals, all the books and products that I create, my artwork, my prints, all of that. So if my website is down, I'm not making anything. Right. <laughs> and so that that's really important. Secondly, it was really important for the Kickstarter because this is a limited time Thing. And so having it down for a week is pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had to do it. And one of the things, uh, so my background before I went into art about 20 years ago, I was in software. So that's where I started out. That was my background. I graduated with a, with a software programming degree and I started working in the software industry very early on in the dot-com craze when all of that stuff was happening. And so I did that for about two, three years. And then I, when I left that, I actually had a lot of the tools for creating my own website and creating my own administrative database systems and everything. Sure. All of that was, was what I did right, right, right. in my job. And as an artist, though, this was a really unique skill set, mm-hmm. especially when you're looking at 2001, when there wasn't even a lot of, there wasn't all these shopping cart systems that anyone could just, you know, plug their, their stuff into and, and learn really easily. Mm-hmm. You had to do it from scratch if you wanted to do that. And so I had that ability and I was able to create my site and system entirely from scratch like that. And... I still use that. So, I mean, it's been modified many, many times and updated in those in the intervening years, but it's still something that I have created by hand myself. I don't use any sort of other system. And so the good thing about this is that it's highly customized. I have all of my data there. I have, you know, when tax times come around, comes around, I just you know spit out a, a report right. from my system because it has everything in there. Uh, so a lot of things are made really easy because it's all consolidated mm-hmm. in one place. But on the other hand, it means that when stuff goes <laughs> bad, there's no right, tech yeah. support to call and there's no one to yell at. <laughs> I have to revert into tech support myself and just do that kind of stuff <laughs> for the duration and figure it out and just you know work my way through it. So <laughs> yeah, your question was, how do you do it? It's like, I yeah, have to. <laughs> there's, no one I, there's no one else I can go scream at and make do the do the work for this unless I were to completely revise things and go with some established system but then again at this point if I were to do it in the middle of Kickstarter it would have it would be something that yeah, would take right. a few weeks to do and it wasn't the it wasn't something I had the time bandwidth for yeah. at that point <laughs> so so you've mentioned that you've ran a few kickstarters what have you felt uh, what do you think the big difference has been from the previous campaigns maybe to this one that right now is is there a big difference that you that you're seeing the biggest difference in the intervening two years is the social media game and reach and navigating that landscape. So things have definitely changed. You know, everyone's always complaining about algorithms and things. And so it's, it's always a matter of trying to figure out what the, what the current game is with that and how to best reach your audience right, with, right. with uh, all the limitations and requirements that are out there. 
so so like so with that in mind, what are some of the things that you are doing right now that um, just to I mean you've got we we should mention I mean you've got four days to go, but you have over six hundred and seventy some backers. You've squashed your goal. You're sitting uh, just under thirty seven thousand. So this is a great successful coloring book right now. So what are you doing to uh, to be successful? So I've been posting on all my social media. I've had this plan for the entire duration of the, I think it was 24 days of the campaign, where every few days I had a few choice items that I could release. A large portion of that this time around has been video, which is not something I was doing during my previous Kickstarter as much. So I was sort of playing around with video at that point. But now YouTube has become a part of my social media presence, as well as my Patreon. And between the two of those, I, I release a lot of technique videos and kind of peeks behind the scenes of how I work and how I create and my process of creation. And so these have been really effective in reaching a wider audience, more effective, I think, than in the previous campaign where it was primarily a Facebook Mm -hmm. campaign that was where most of my audience, and it still is where most of my audience comes from, but it's much more diversified (laughs) at this point. There's a lot of different injection points for potential audience members. Now, did you have, and, and I'm only asking because we've had some clients who, who struggle with this in terms of making content on all these platforms. Is it something that you had to struggle and get past? Or is it just, again, it came natural because you make content, whether it's art or a YouTube video or a behind the scenes. Did, is it something that you ever struggled with? Well, content for video was was sort of a challenge for me initially uh, because I wasn't, I just wasn't used to, it, it feels unnatural to be painting and having this mm. camera hovering <laughs> right. in my face as I'm doing it. Be and in fact, some of the, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't so much of the stage fright element of it. It was more of this is in my way. And I keep banging my head against this camera right now because it's, in my face. <laughs> so I would have it, I was trying to position something and, and I work very detailed and small and fine. So it's not, you know, there's some artists that work on large scales and they can have a camera that is four feet behind them and you can see perfectly fine what they're doing mm-hmm. because they're working in large enough scale. But I work in inches, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes less than an inch. So that means my camera has to be zoomed in and right where my face and eyes are. And it's sort of awkward sometimes to have something right there. And in in fact, some of my early videos, I would film something, I would do something for an hour, and then I go back and look at it. And I realize that there's the back of my head somehow (laughs) that maneuvered into the screen. And that's all you can see, you can't see my painting. (laughs) So it took a while just to actually set up a system and to find the proper hardware and to have everything in a way that did not intrude into my actual creative process so that I could create then and and not have to worry about all this other stuff. And so that was the major hurdle then for creating content in the video Mm -hmm. realm. In the, just the static picture realm that has always been fairly easy for me. I just pause every once in a while and take take a bunch of pictures and make sure I have a whole backlog of processed photos that I can use at any time for any given image that I do. So that gives me a lot of content to use. When I create a picture, when I create a single painting, I actually have about anywhere from two to sometimes 15 pieces of process photo that I can then use 
across my various platforms and I could show different ones on each of my different social media presences so that I'm not repeating myself too much and I can sort of spread things out and show the entire process and keep people engaged and interested. That's great. Uh, it's almost like um, we tell a lot of our clients to just stop thinking about it as content and just just document what you're doing and it'll become content down the road. So it sounds like that, that you almost have that sort of uh, approach to it. Like, I'm going to paint today, document it a little bit, you know, and there, yeah, there's exactly. your content. It's, it's really not that, <laughs> yeah, that, just, that mind-boggling if you just step, step back from it for a second, so... Yeah. So, you know, with a single painting, I just take a bunch of little snapshots here and there. And actually, they it's not even just for the social media thing, because sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to just keep thinking about what I'm going to post. A lot of it is even for me, because as I'm working, sometimes I want to... Uh, I want to recreate something that I've done in the past, some color combination or some some technique. And I've found that if I take these process photos, I have a good idea of what yeah. I did and, and how to do it myself. And so it's it's proven useful even just for myself as an artist to be able to have this documentation of prior experiments sure, and things. Sure. That's, that's great. <laughs> Uh, so, so you mentioned, I guess I forgot about asking this question earlier, but how did you jump from being in the tech world, all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, doing coloring books with succulent dragons in it? So. <laughs> well, the thing is that, as I said, when I was in tech, it was the dot com mm-hmm. craze boom. You know, this was, if you're not familiar with this was, you know, when all the websites yeah. for, first started popping up on the, on the internet and it was, was like pet shop, pet, <laughs> pet food dot com right. and all this other stuff. Uh, and the thing is though, so because there, there was this crazy influx of websites and people were interested in stuff on the internet and buying stuff on the internet, and this included art, there was a big gaping hole for art and not very many artists that were going to be able to provide in this for this audience. And so there are a few artists that I know from this time period who have remained successful and it's sort of a right place, right time situation for a lot of us. When we first got started, I had the actual coding skills myself. Some of the others had spouses who were in tech. Some were actually, you know, high school kids that were just mucking around with this stuff and happened to set up their own websites and things. And they, maintained website presences presences from that time period and were able to grow a huge amount in those years because there was such growth potential and not a whole lot of providers for it. So when I left software, it was actually a really good time as an artist as well. And the hardest part for that, for me, for leaving the software was the actual element of leaving mm-hmm. software because it still had the comfort of a secure job and healthcare benefits and right. all the other things that come with a nine to five job, right? <laughs> and here I'm going, jumping off into the unknown art world, which though there was there was a clearly a space and an audience for it, it still had this people still had this perception of art as being this really crazy um, you know, off the beaten path type of career and there's no security with that and you don't know what you're doing. And so it was tough to deal with those elements of it and the inner insecurities of, you know, what am, what am I doing? <laughs> Is this right. the right choice to make? But I also, as I told you earlier, I, I need to paint and I need to draw. And at that time I was, I was working like crazy. I mean, I was doing, I was 
basically working two full-time jobs. I was doing the software and I was doing the art. And I had the energy for Mm -hmm. it then because I was young. (laughs) I don't know how I would be able to do that at this point because it it was just a lot of work. I was just constantly doing one or the other. I was at work working late hours because it was a startup company. And I was also working late into the night painting and doing art freelance jobs because at that point I was not yet just doing my own work. I was, I I didn't really have a clear vision of what my art path would be. I, because there wasn't really anyone that was sort of this independent internet Mm -hmm. artist yet, that wasn't a thing. And the career paths that I saw going forward as an artist were to work as a freelance illustrator for various publications and companies. So I did a lot of work for game companies back then, both, uh, well, actually pen and paper, card games, um, and art role-playing games, Mm. fantasy role-playing games, and magazines, children's magazines, and fantasy magazines, and some book covers and things. So I did a lot of that stuff. And it was... Over time, as I was doing that, and I would intersperse that with my own work and my own direction and things that I just enjoyed painting and drawing. And over time, people were finding me on the internet and saying, well, I want to buy right. that. You know, they were, they were looking at the things that I had created for myself, things that I enjoyed doing for my own sake. And they said, I want to buy that painting and prints of that. It wasn't the freelance work that I was doing on commission for companies and things. And so I started doing more and more of my own work and turning away more of the freelance commission work because it was it was clearly what, clearly what I enjoyed doing as well. And if there's an audience that's willing to support that, then I was all too happy to continue down that route. And so it turned more and more into that. And eventually I stopped taking almost any sort of commission things. And I just start working on my own projects. And I had publishers that were contacting me for projects that were based on the content hmm. that I created and the, the subject matter and things that I was doing. And so over time now, it has become entirely that. So it's, uh, I work with a few publishers on some of the projects that I have created. One of them was a Shadows the Shadowscapes Tarot deck, and that w- that's with Llewellyn. And then another company I work with does a lot of tutorial technique books. So I've done a whole series of watercolor technique books with them as well. And so I, I have those as sort of these ongoing things. And as well on the side, I do a lot of work with galleries, and I sell my work through my website myself as an online gallery. And so that's how everything is sort of gelled and sort of uh, formed over the years (laughs) but it wasn't a path that was very clear or one that was evident as an option in the beginning it was something that I sort of fell into and started doing and found response with 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 people resonating with what I was creating and what I was doing and I would move into that direction then that's sweet that's sweet so you've got four days to go and it takes a uh, of this campaign you've got it takes what a couple of weeks for the Kickstarter money to drop but what is the first step out of the gate when you start handling fulfillment is it pushing the go button somewhere is it what web yeah I'm I'm actually probably going to push the go button even before the campaign ends I'm probably going to contact my printer and say, you know, things have been funded right now, what I'm waiting for, even for that. In my previous book, I actually pressed the go button on it about a week and a half before the end of the campaign, because I want to just get things going on the production end of it. This one, I'm actually waiting a little bit longer because I'm still uncertain about the exact quantity Mm. of books that I'm going to have printed 
And so if you have larger quantities, then your price per unit goes right. down. I'm sort of on a cusp right now of, uh, of two numbers. So I have to wait a little bit longer. And especially since the last two days of the Kickstarter, typically you see a, a little bit of a spike. You mm-hmm. see a huge spike in the beginning and then things kind of drop off in the middle. And then the last two days when people get the reminders of, hey, you only right. got two yeah. days left, then a bunch right. of people yeah. join in again. So at this point, I think I'm probably going to wait until at least I see where that spike is going before I place my order and tell them to start going on it. Mm-hmm. But once they start going, once they place the paper order, then it's about six weeks for the actual production of the book and the delivery mm-hmm. over here into the U.S., and then it's a lot of fulfillment, but also in the interim, in that point, in those six weeks, I have a chance to gather all the shipping information and any of the options that people right. have for the, the Kickstarter tiers. Although this one is a fairly simple one. I kept this one as much less of a, there, there aren't very many options in this so one. So it should be easier yeah, for it's fulfillment. Not be a survey nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, at the end. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I wanted to keep this one kind of low key right. in general. I mean, as as I said, it was sort of a spur of the moment project. It wasn't one that I had really plotted and planned out a whole lot in advance. I wanted to keep things on on the down low a little bit so that I didn't drive myself crazy because I do actually want to create my next major art collection book, hopefully in two thousand early two thousand nineteen right now because that would be three yeah. years from my previous one as I was, I was saying I, was, I do these every three years or so although we'll see how, how <laughs> crazy I am at the end of fulfillment of this because <laughs> I also have an, another Kickstarter another mini Kickstarter idea I wanted to try tossing out in about a month I, I don't Oof. know if I'll if I'll my yeah. sanity will last through both of these but we'll see <laughs> well uh, where can people dive in more into your world outside of the Kickstarter how can people find uh, some of the stuff you're talking about you can find my art at shadowscapes.com. Facebook, and Instagram, can they find you on there too? Yeah, yeah. I'm on I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I have a Patreon where I do a lot of my technique and behind the scenes stuff so that people can see how I work in my process. I have a YouTube. So yeah, and a Twitter as well. So unfortunately, my handles are <laughs> different across all these because some of them I joined a little bit later than I should have. And so I wasn't able to get the same handle. But if you go to shadowscapes.com, you can find links to all of them. And if you go on any of those any of those other platforms, you search for Stephanie Law, That's I will cool. show up yeah, somewhere. The, the, the power <laughs> of uh, backlinks and Google and all this sort of stuff, you'll, you'll pop up. That's good. Cool. Yeah, but, but the easiest way is through my website and then you can find the, the links out from there. Awesome, awesome, cool. <laughs> well, Stephanie, I appreciate you taking time. I know it's a busy time right now with a Kickstarter and lots of comments and, and got to respond to stuff and do all the work of a Kickstarter. So I appreciate you taking time. This is a great project and I encourage everybody out there to go check it out and, uh, and check it out quickly because we only got a few days uh, before the campaign ends. So Stephanie, again, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, how about my conversation with uh, Stephanie? Stephanie, thanks so much again for taking time out of your data to talk about your Kickstarter campaign. It was It's really great. And again, go check out her project, Succulent Dragons, uh, over on Kickstarter right now. You've only got a couple days to go to uh, become a backer. Um, she might have a pre-order after that. I'm not 100% sure, but go check that out right now. Get those coloring books in and uh, relax a little bit and, and, make some art, and make some art, right? Unplug. Unplug from your device. So... Um, song we're listening to, song called uh, Radio. This is off of an album called The Sugar Roses Collection, which nobody's ever heard because I've been lazy and I have not put it up on Spotify yet. Give me 
Maybe by the end of this week, I'll, I'll do that. I'll get that process started because it's a process. I got to do a lot of work behind it. But I'm going to get those up. That way, uh, we have the almost the full catalog will be up there then. So, yeah, songs called Radio by the Sugar People. And I uh, hope you guys have a great week. And I will talk to you all later. You're going to buy into it every time. Oh